don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. What is up, fellow Bitcoiners? Welcome back to the Crypto Economy with Guy Swan. That is me, your host, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And uh, we are going to read about Bitcoin today. Got another quick read for you, and this one is going to be one about Better Hash. We have contr- we have uh, we've talked about Better Hash on the show. I did read um, a piece, I think, by the Blue Mat. Actually, I'll, I'll dig into it. It'll be in the show notes if you want to listen to it. Um, uh, but it was a really good introduction, and I was really excited about it. I haven't heard much about Better Hash until this article by uh, Stop and Decrypt, which you're going to read today. Uh, it is titled Better Hash, Decentralizing Bitcoin Mining with New Hashing Protocols. And I think this is a really important topic that not just Better Hash, but the idea, like what Better Hash is in like its relationship in the rest of the network. Because Better Hash is not like a soft fork. It's not, um, it, it, it is a protocol unto itself. It's a, it's a way to organize a group of people who are mining around Bitcoin to mine towards the same thing. It's to create a decentralized mining pool, essentially. Uh, and we'll obviously get into this. But um, I think these types of improvements are just as, if not more, important than uh, some of the soft fork or like specific protocol improvements that are happening because these can be implemented without any major, like without any of the social tension or the, the consensus problems of Bitcoin. Uh, or like the actual Bitcoin protocol, and they go a long way. Like this, like Dandelion is another great example, which we've talked about numerous times, about just figuring out a new way for the client, it's just a client-side improvement, uh, to broadcast the transaction out into the peer-to-peer network. And with things like Schnorr and like high-level, like uh, or, or high degrees of aggregation and taproot, all the different things that are coming, I think, really, uh, what's the word, spotlight, they, they really shine a light on what's important in figuring out how to get people to work together, like, in a decentralized manner for adding data to the blockchain. Like, I think it will be, I think it will be kind of a rare thing, unless you're moving enormous amounts of capital in the blockchain to be publishing a transaction from, your, from one UTXO to another UTXO without anyone else involved. And I think it's important that we have a, um, a decentralized way to pool when you know, 20 other people are making their inputs and their outputs, that we have a decentralized and trustless way to just pool all of this together so it's taking up as little space on the blockchain as possible. And it is possible, and we do have a lot of these types of things. And this is kind of in that same mindset. Like, what kind of an improvement is it? It's its own protocol, just like a protocol for aggregating uh, uh, signatures or something would be, uh, except this is to do with mining and re-decentralizing uh, the Bitcoin mining sphere. Uh, so uh, we'll go ahead and just jump into this. Again, it's by Stop and Decrypt. We've read a number of Stop and Decrypt's work. 
uh, on the show in the past. Always great stuff. My favorite still to this day being the uh, the Bitcoin is an impenetrable penetrable fortress of validation. It's like a, where is it? Bitcoin miners beware. Invalid blocks need not apply. Uh, this is one of my favorite articles. Uh, so um, uh, got a lot of those on the show. I'll, I'll try to uh, see if I can collect all the ones by Stop and Decrypt and post them in the show notes. Uh, so if you want to go back and listen to any of those, and obviously on Hacker Noon uh, and just Stop and Decrypt's page, there's tons and tons of stuff to read. So definitely check that out. Um, but uh, last thing, don't forget, if you hadn't heard, uh, if you hadn't been keeping up with the show, we've got a coupon code for BitBlockBoom, August 17th and 18th, the conference. And uh, it's out in Dallas. And if you get your tickets now and you use the discount code CC, you will get 30% off. So don't forget that discount code CC, 30% off. Uh, the price will jump again uh, right at the beginning of August. Uh, so get your tickets soon and uh, we'll hang out. Come out to BitBlockBoom and we'll get a chill. So let's go ahead and jump into our article. Again, Stop and Decrypt, titled Better Hash, Decentralizing Bitcoin Mining with New Hashing Protocols. An overview of mining pool exploits that Better Hash disables. Intra. Better Hash is the working name for alternative mining protocols currently in development. When it's completed, there will need to be enough miners willing to switch to a new mining pool using these protocols, or an existing pool that is willing to service both the old and new protocols while miners gradually ready themselves to switch over. In either circumstance, the initial switch will need to be supported by enough miners to make doing so profitable, else profit volatility would be too high. Ultimately, miners will need to understand why they should switch and there will need to be forward-thinking pool operators who don't want the control that current pools have. This can only happen if the problems and risks with the current system are properly understood and conveyed. Disclaimer, this is not a fork or a consensus rule change. So what exactly is wrong with Bitcoin mining now? Bitcoin mining has a representation problem. Bitcoin mining pools are not Bitcoin miners, yet pools unduly signal for them. Pools run the node, construct the block, select the transactions, and can choose what fork all of their miners' hash power is used for. This creates a handful of incentive issues and enables some pretty undesirable political leverage. BetterHash aims to address this by giving those responsibilities back to the individual miners and stripping the mining pools of their influence for the greater good of the network. With better hash, miners would control their own hash power, and pools would just coordinate them and distribute the rewards. Okay, so he's got a graphic here of the mining power, uh, the mining pool hash power distribution, and then uh, uh, and shows like just kind of the latest Bitcoin blocks, and shows like Ant pool at twelve percent, F two pool at thirteen. It shows how like Basically, six major miners control, mining pools, excuse me, control the uh, significant majority of the hash power. But because these are pools, uh, uh, so he decided to put another one of the same graph 
by breaking up the actual public hash rate distribution inside of slush pool, which is one of those major pools, and then overlaying it on all the other major pools, it shows what the minor distribution on the whole network is if you took the pools out of the equation, and it's crazy. It looks like a, it genuinely looks like there's like a million tiny little slivers in this thing. Uh, so uh, if you go to the article for no other reason but to clap and look at that graphic, I definitely recommend so you, so you can see exactly how decentralized mining actually is and uh, see how it is actually the mining pool protocols that create the illusion that there is a lot of centralization in the mining ecosystem. All right, let's get back to the article. This article aims to highlight the kinds of exploitation pools can conduct under the current mining environment, of which would not be possible if better hash-like protocols were adopted, at the expense of what may be the miners' best interests. Pools can also be hacked and then used by the attacker to engage in this behavior. Before we get to that, let's briefly go over the structural differences between what exists now and what better hash protocols would change about it. Currently, many miners don't even run nodes and simply connect their ASICs to a mining pool using protocols like Stratum. The pool runs the node, selects the transactions, creates a block they would like mined, and then sends that block out to all of the miners using their pool, and the miners begin hashing it. Once a miner successfully mines a block, it gets sent back to the pool and out to the Bitcoin network. With BetterHash, miners will individually run their own nodes, select the transactions, create a block, and then mine it. The block would be configured to pay the pool, and just like with the Stratum protocol, those unsuccessful blocks, called shares, would be used by the miners to prove they've been mining for that pool the whole time. By just changing who creates the block template to be mined to the individual miners instead of the pool owner and then building a new protocol around that concept, BetterHash circumvents all the issues we're going to cover. For a more technical overview on the BetterHash protocols currently in development, this presentation by Matt Corallo should suffice, but it's not necessary to understand the exploits this article discusses because conceptually, Better hash is objectively better, and a fully codified implementation doesn't need to exist in order to grasp how important this is. It should be noted that the name Better Hash is not definitive, as mentioned in the video. The Status Quo To understand why switching to Better Hash is so important, let's unpack all the problems associated with the way things are now for miners that wouldn't exist if they were using BetterHash. To be brief, mining on your own has returns that are most likely too volatile, which is why pools have existed since as early as 2010. Critics will point at pool distributions to claim Bitcoin mining is centralized, and while counter-arguments assert miners can just switch the pool they use, it's not always that simple. If you're a miner, your options are limited to a handful of mining pools, each with their own terms of service that you may or may not agree with. Pools are too large to provide a diverse set of options to pick from. At the end of the day, you have no choice but to choose the pool best suited to you. 
And if most or all of the pools decide that some practice you don't like or agree with is going to be the norm, then you have no real alternative but to deal with that, since starting your own pool probably won't produce a steady enough income stream. Pools that already exist are relatively large, and by having many miners under each of their umbrellas, pools have the power over their miners' hash power to do a number of questionable things that we'll go over one by one. Pools can determine what transactions do or don't go into a block, be bribed to reorganize the blockchain under the right conditions, backlog transaction mempools to inflate the fee rate, direct hash power without consent and mine competitive forks, dishonestly mine should they have ulterior motives for doing so, and signal support for a proposal using a miner's hash power. All of these are essentially the direct result of pools building the Bitcoin blocks instead of the miners, as mentioned earlier. Along with pool exploitation comes third-party exploitation of the pools. Pools can be hacked, and then the hackers can potentially conduct these exploits. Or pools can be attacked from a network level, and then miners are left scrambling to figure things out or switch to another pool. With better hash, a pool hack wouldn't be able to control a miner's hash power, and network-level attacks targeting a pool wouldn't have a direct effect on the miners using that pool. Network-level attacks are just as concerning, if not more, than pools exploiting their miners' hash power. An attacker can bring down a large chunk of the hash power or redirect it as they please. BGP attacks are easy to do, and the time and resources required to recover from them is concerning, to say the least. To convey how trivially an attacker can steal a pool's hash rate and conduct any of the exploits written in this article, watch three minutes of this presentation below. He has a YouTube video embedded uh, of Matt Corallo, the blue Matt, from the Magical Crypto Conference this year talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, and network-level attacks. Uh, and it's only 13 minutes. Uh, if you have some time to sit down and watch it, I just watched the whole thing, and it's... Uh, shocking at the same time that it is uh, excellent. Um, so I definitely recommend uh, taking just a little bit out of your day and sitting down and watching this one. All right, let's jump back into the article. There's no doubting the benefits of a protocol that defends against these kinds of issues. But solutions to often unheard of potentialities don't always do a great job on their own conveying their necessity. I'd like to bring to light some hypothetical scenarios as well as some that have already occurred in some fashion, so that necessity is more readily understood. So let's take a closer look at what each of them are. Please note that some of these are hypothetical and unlikely to actually occur, and some may require very specific circumstances, while others have occurred in one form or another already. 1. Pools determine what transactions go into a block. Often an issue raised when discussing the possibility of 51% attacks. If enough pools can be convinced to blacklist a transaction type or an address, even temporarily, then it doesn't matter if you, a miner, personally don't care and would have included it. 
The motivation for this could be coercion or just a financial incentive to do so, whether the pool's own or an external one paid to the pool. Scenario 1. Censoring a service's hot wallet. Imagine an exchange's hot wallet being blacklisted by 40% of the pools, paid for by a competing exchange. It wouldn't bar that wallet from transacting indefinitely, but it would noticeably slow down their transaction processing. As a miner, maybe you don't think that behavior is healthy for the ecosystem, but maybe you just have no other choice since you have no say in what your pool does in secret. Scenario 2. Censoring Confidential Transaction Types Tweet by Prab H. Jeet Wang Chun at Sato Fishy May we respectfully ask why F2Pool official is not mining Zcash shielded transactions? When Zcash switches to fully shielded, will you continue mining? Retweet by Wang Chun Quote the original ZEC pool I wrote in 2016 didn't include any transactions, only empty blocks. Not because of censorship, but I was too lazy to write code calculating Merkle root. The current code is maintained by our dev, WinCSS. He might be same lazy, I guess. We'll check with him. End quote. The tweet above ended up proving, if we trust his word, this example to be non-malicious but it's still important to consider scenarios in which something like this was done intentionally. Bitcoin doesn't have confidential transactions at the moment, and may never have them, but it does have different transaction types. If a pool had a reason for doing so, then they could theoretically ignore them so a backlog of specific types of transactions exacerbates, raising fees and potentially slowing down any service that makes use of those specific kinds of transactions. All right, I'm going to need a break, get outside of my Bitcoin tent here for just a minute. Uh, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor, and we will come back with attack number two. Pools can be bribed to reorganize the blockchain. Two, pools can be bribed to reorganize the blockchain. Similar to the examples above, pools can decide they don't want a specific version of a transaction to be included in the ledger, and then try and act on this decision. Such a scenario would be next to impossible to coordinate spontaneously or in hindsight, but if pools were so inclined, then just a few of them could build software in preparation for a bribe, and then act on it immediately without miners having any say in the matter. Miners might believe this is in their best interest if the bribe was shared with them, but pools have less of an incentive to do this the higher a share they give to the miners. Additionally, in a hacking scenario, the hacker could counter the bribe to the pool, muddying the waters even more. This was a suggestion after the exchange Binance was hacked, although the pools weren't prepared for it, and many used this to make arguments about Bitcoin mining being centralized, when in reality, it's just the pools that have too much leverage over miners, that this could even be potentially abused. For more nuance on this subject, give the podcast below a listen and make note that none of the things being discussed in it would matter if BetterHash was being used, because this would have been impossible to even consider if miners built the blocks instead of pools. And he links to an episode of the What Bitcoin Did podcast with Adam Back and Brian Bishop, 
about block reorganizations and why they're bad for Bitcoin. Three, pools can backlog transactions to inflate the fee rate. Not only can pools bar specific transactions, they can choose to ignore all transactions below a specific fee rate, raising the cost for everyone trying to transact. Some consider this a trivial issue because smaller pools will take the opportunity to include those transactions since the reward for them is greater, rewarding the underdogs in the long term. I don't think it's as trivial as this since we've seen how the effects of this behavior can steer arguments in the political arena over rising fees in the short term. Sooner or later, a fee market is going to exist, but throttling the network below its consensus-enforced limitations shouldn't be a tool granted to a handful of people running pools. While competition may exist at the pool level to counter this behavior, we continue to see empty blocks mined by select pools because the financial incentives are aligned, along with instances in the past where a few specific pools only had transactions that were above 5 satoshis per byte, even when there was room for the remainder of the transactions in the backlog. It might require some coordination among pools to have an effect, but if the incentives align, then that coordination isn't difficult or even necessary, and now a small group of pool operators would have a valuable tool at their disposal that nobody else has. Pools can also do this covertly. Instead of creating non-full blocks, they can fill them with what looks like legitimate but unannounced transactions that they then collect back to themselves to throw off people, businesses, and fee estimators by leading them to believe the new going fee rate is real. Once the market starts paying the higher price, then pools could just adjust their malicious transactions up again. At the time of the image below, the bottom 50% of the transaction backlog in size accounted for only 7% of the reward miners collected in fee. The reward grew non-linearly with the median fee rate in the transaction backlog, making this a lucrative endeavor for any large enough pool wanting to try this out. 4. Pools can direct hash power without consent. In more ways than one, pools choose what chain to extend. Pools feed the miners a block and effectively just say, mine this block. The miners mine that block until it's found by someone, then pools feed them the next block. Miners aren't tracking different branches themselves, and miners generally assume the pool is being honest and mining the coin or fork you expect them to mine. Many miners aren't running nodes, so they aren't validating the consensus rules. This has caused problems in the past when pools decided that they were also not going to validate blocks, but instead SPV mine on top of invalid blocks. As a miner, you should want to know that your time and money isn't being wasted by the pool you're using. A scenario. You're a miner and you're part of pool A. You receive a steady stream of payments for the amount of hash power you provide to the pool. You've done the math, it checks out, and that never changes. The operator of pool A decides they are going to use your hash power to provide life support for another chain that's at risk, one that you don't care about and possibly dislike or consider to be competition. The pool continues to pay you the market rate for your SHA-256 rigs, but your hash power isn't actually being used on the chain you think you're mining. 
Since there's now an entire pool mining a different chain, the network's block production rate slows down, decreasing rewards. And the market is potentially fooled into thinking there's more support than there actually is for another chain, decreasing the potential value of your chain. As a miner, this is probably a scenario you would want to avoid. Unfortunately, this scenario has already happened in real life. And then he has below a number of screenshots and um, a couple of Reddit posts and stuff about how Bitcoin.com, after the fork, uh, was used to, were using the miner's hash rate to actually mine on the BCH chain. And Roger Vera actually says in one of the comments, when somebody asks where's the hash power coming from exactly, he said it's coming from the Bitcoin chain whenever we need it. Just showing that he's just doing this. Uh, he's just taking the miner's uh, uh, hash power and directing it to whichever chain he thinks uh, or he wants to support at the moment. And a bunch of people are like really not taking well to this. He's like, you know, you're switching without uh, asking the, on the miner's behalf. You're, you're having them, forcing them to opt out instead of opt in. Um, a couple of people are justifying it. You know, you can switch to a different mining pool, free market, free choice. But I'm not going to read through the whole thing just because it's kind of long, but it's definitely one to check out and to keep in mind when, you know, there was a fork to a minority chain and, you know, Roger Vera had no problem taking his entire mining pool and basically directing it to BCH um, to give the illusion of support uh, and felt no, you know, personal or moral issue in doing that. All right, let's jump back into the article. 5. Pools can dishonestly mine using miners' hash power. Consider the scenario above to be the best case example of how this would play out. The pool is being honest with the miners about their intentions, and they are at least attempting to remedy what they think will be the financial burden. They're giving the miners a heads up and telling them if they don't like it, then leave, which is not always simple, but what if they were dishonest? If a pool showed they were mining two chains, yellow and green, at 80% and 20% respectively, and you were mining the green chain through them, how would you know they were being honest that only 20% of their miners supported that chain? They could individually tell each miner that they are the 20% and they're the only ones supporting it, when they really aren't. Miners would have to coordinate on side channels and add up their hash power to figure out if they're being deceived. The main issue with that is many miners are private, and many want to remain private, will remain private, and should remain private. Coordinating like this is an impractical workaround to avoid being deceived and manipulated. Not only would this sort of lie allow complete exploitation of all the miners' combined hash power, but the disinformation could influence the market's valuation of each chain. Anyone who values the long-term health of the Bitcoin network would want to avoid these kinds of scenarios. 6. Pools can signal for a proposal using your hash power. There doesn't even need to be an actual chain split for this kind of manipulation to take place. Since the pool gets to signal for all the hash power under their umbrella prior to an actual fork, a situation like the one below would give the appearance that 80% of the hash power 
is signaling for or against some proposal or fork. Given that signaling isn't a financial commitment, there's little risk involved in doing so. You would only need to persuade the few individuals running these pools to temporarily signal support if you wanted to try and move the market in your desired direction. If it fails, like we witnessed with No2x, then it's at no loss to the mining pools. Everyone's hash power still works regardless of the result. No one knows exactly what percentage of hash power all of the pools actually own versus how much belong to other miners using a pool, but the extra transparency is without a doubt a bonus for the effectively silent majority of the hash power without a voice. Nobody wants another No2x scenario, nor should a handful of pools be able to decide that the majority support something when they really don't. Perhaps the No2x movement wouldn't have been necessary if better hash existed a few years ago. And it shows a historical chart from Coin.Dance on the Bitcoin proposal uh, support and uh, shows Segwit2x support, which almost immediately, it just shot up uh, right towards the end of July 2017 and uh, actually peaked at 95, supposedly 95% of the hash rate of the network, and he's got it with the caption that, quote, miners did not signal for Segwit2x, mining pools did. Conclusion Perspective Matters I anticipate there being two different common reactions from people upon reading this, both of which I've already received from a handful of people reviewing it. I think it's important to highlight this for the reader, you, and address it. 1. Quote, I didn't know mining pools have so much power. 2. Quote, this can give the appearance that pools have more control than they really do. Now for the meta considerations. At first glance, one might think, quote, the first person probably didn't know much about mining or Bitcoin in general and the second person has been around the block and understands the nuances enough to measure these scenarios more appropriately, end quote. Another way one might view this would be, quote, the first person is providing a fresh and real perspective on learning about the balances of power in this system, while the second person has been around for a while and has gotten too comfortable and desensitized to the way things are and the potential threats, end quote. Both of these initial reactions are valid. Both of these meta-considerations are valid. If pools had no potential to abuse the system the way it's currently set up, then there would be no drive to develop better protocols, and you wouldn't be reading this. Conversely, if pools were such a significant threat to Bitcoin, then they would have abused their power in irreparably damaging ways by now. See Bcash. Alternatively to these polarizing perspectives, this is what I'd like your takeaway to be instead. BetterHash needs to be implemented because BetterHash is objectively better than what we have now. Pool abuse and network attacks shouldn't be possible, and we can alleviate these concerns by simply getting miners to run their own nodes so they can create their own blocks and using a better pooling protocol structured around that simple but fundamental change. 
There's always the potential that something could go seriously wrong if we don't get ahead of a problem that we know how to fix. So let's fix it. And he's got a couple of additional resources uh, linked below. Uh, Bob McElrath on uh, decentralizing mining pools for Bitcoin. Off-chain with Jimmy Song, how mining pools work with Matt Corallo. And what Bitcoin did episode, again, Matt Corallo on how Bitcoin works. So uh, do not forget to uh, jump up here if you have not uh, done so yet. Drop some applause on this. This is from the Hacker Noon publication, and it was, again, Stop and Decrypt putting this great piece together talking about the, uh, the risks involved in the simple fundamental element of the mining pool protocols that miners are not running their own nodes, they are not enforcing the consensus rules, and uh, they, they are essentially giving all of that power up to the pool. And simply put, if that power is there, it will get abused somehow, um, maybe by a hacker, uh, particularly if you watch that, um, that uh, Blue Matt presentation from MCC that he posts up there. Uh, that was a really, really good one. It certainly scares the crap. Uh, out of uh, out of me and the sense of being able to actually affect what mining pools can do, and I mean, who knows how long it would take for like a, a you know a pool like that to actually figure out something was going on, and then we have a situation like the Bcash fifty one percent attack that happened, uh, you know, just a was it a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so ago. Uh, now that two of the mining pools decided to reject the good to go two blocks deep uh, and do a reorg uh, purposefully to reject someone else's transaction and put in their own transaction in place of it so we see in in live how this can work for or happen for censorship and he's got the example of zcash doing the exact same thing uh, and it was supposedly just out of sheer laziness that private transactions weren't being mined by this pool, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. It's just like they're not concerned. It's like, whatever. We're still getting our money. We're still getting the block reward. Who cares? Um, and what kind of a, a frustration, inconvenience, or possibly even, uh, I mean, depending on how much hash power they have, a literal, like, confidential transactions not being able to get through in any kind of a timely manner. Uh, it's a censorship, it's an accidental censorship of privacy, which is kind of nuts when you think about it. There's a lot of things, uh, there's a lot of externalities to this type of thing. And it's, obviously it's a huge convenience for pools, or excuse me, for miners to be able to work together. But they need to do so in, without recreating these central points of failures that could really cause a huge stink, like cause like a really big problem for the network and the security. I mean, what a simple and rather open attack vector that is that has nothing to do with the protocol itself, has nothing to do with Bitcoin or the network. It's not, that's not where the uh, limitation lies. That's not where the weakness lies. It's in how miners uh, pool their efforts to work together towards uh, hashing uh, for the Bitcoin blocks. So 
Um, and that's why I think like there's going to be so many different ways in which I think working together in a decentralized fashion is going to be really important with how we interact with Bitcoin. That's why I brought up at the beginning things like Taproot and Schnorr signatures when we can combine and aggregate signatures. Like there's a, uh, uh, I mean, a centralized service essentially, but um, it's like bitflash.club. I just got shown about this um, the other day by somebody at the Bitcoin meet, the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup. And I'm going to see if this is it. I don't want to give you the wrong URL. Bitflash.club. Yeah, that's it. And it says make own cheap transactions using, using Lightning. And what happens is that you pay a tiny Lightning fee and then put your own chain transaction uh, essentially in the, in the pool of what's going on. And they are aggregating transactions. So it's joining multiple Lightning transactions into a single on-chain transaction. So if you're like trying to get money out of your pool, I mean, excuse me, out of your channel, and so, so happens to be 100 other people, well, then you aggregate that and you're all splitting the fee uh, to make that transaction a lot cheaper on-chain. And I think this is the kind of thing that um, is going to be very common. I think it's going to have to be a normal part of uh, interacting with the Bitcoin network, which is why, and with things like mining pools or whatever, you don't want to introduce these central points of failure. Like Bitflash.club, it might not have much control, but it can also cause like be a huge inconvenience. And it would be nice to have some sort of a decentralized way, kind of like you know how Wasabi Wallet um, allows people to coordinate together and make a mixing transaction. There's a lot of different elements involved in this, and uh, it's important that we not rebuild uh, centralization back into this just for convenience. Um, and uh, he does a, a stop and decrypt, uh, just a great job of laying out uh, all of these attack vectors. And uh, and I love that it's like there's not even there's not even any real reason to rebut them in a sense. Like it's just like if you're running your own node, none of this is a problem. And that's what BetterHash does. And I would really, really like to see uh, protocols like this. Like it sucks. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I actually highlighted, where is it? Uh, okay, there's no doubting the benefits of a protocol that defends against these kinds of issues. But solutions to often unheard of potentialities don't always do a great job on their own conveying their necessity. And that's just a really important thing to remember is that so many of, like we have a really bad tendency of waiting until something really terrible happens to implement a solution. And often it's something where the solution has just been sitting there ready to go. And I would really like to see some mining pool out there take take the reins on this and be like, we're going to do it like slush pool or F2 pool or whatever. Um, and like actually go, like, like actually do that and be like, all right, we're going to implement better hash because we know it's better for the whole protocol. It's better for the whole network and it eliminates an attack vector that there's no reason for it to be there. Um, and also like uh, just in a habit, I think all even if the miners are using a pool that's centralized, I still think they should be running their own nodes, uh, even though it's not like a huge help because all it would do is maybe alert them to some sort of a thing going on. But 
still, you know, when the solution is there, when it's already available, it's like, just implement it. Just implement it. We really don't want to be in a situation where we're bandage, bandaging up a bunch of wounds and, you know, fixing hardware and trying to get everything back to like some sort of a static, normal situation and, and going, oh, we really should have done this like a year ago. <laughs> so, uh, and, and we've also, obviously, we've already seen some of the problems with this. The fact that Bitcoin.com uh, pool was just by default. I mean, they were being open about it. You know, Roger Ver said, told, or at least to put an announcement thing on the website that, you know, guess what? We're going to use your hash power for Bcash. But, you know, it's like, like Stopping Decrypt said, it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world, in the world to go pick a different pool. And in a, in a scenario like Segwit2x, it looked like everybody was signaling for this. Like all the major, a bunch of the major companies were like, okay, I guess we'll go ahead and do it too. And all the major pools were like, we're going to get behind it. It was like, you know, six or seven pools. It wasn't the thousands of miners behind those pools that made this decision. Uh, And uh, what they found out was that that support wasn't actually there. And basically the user-activated soft fork called their bluff. And thank God they did because Segwit2x was fundamentally broken. They never mined a block because the protocol, because the the thing that they claimed for, oh God, I, who knows how long that, oh, it's only changing like three lines of code. What could possibly go wrong? You're, uh, everybody's completely over-exaggerating the risks. And it's like, no, you just don't arbitrarily and uh, uh, rush uh protocol changes like consensus rule changes like something is going to fuck up you're an idiot for thinking this is smart and that you're going to just do this in two weeks and you know not even test anything not even review this thing and sure enough you know it it completely went to a halt they had an off by one bug straight out the gate and 95 percent of the hash power operators again pool operators not miners and uh, businesses in the space showed what complete buffoons they were, that uh, they had no restraint, that they were not concerned with security, and that this many companies, all the major companies in the space, could not shell out a couple of freaking dollars to review the damn code? Like, what an embarrassment. And the fact that that is possible just because pools are centralized and they don't have to be, this is a really important issue, and I think it's, like, the kind of things that happen with, it, like, God, what's the, like, this, the standard that this sets when uh, people don't essentially uh, push for this or they just kind of let it flow by unconcerning uh, is exactly the kind of thing that leads to the next, quote-unquote, centralized solution to, um, you know, pooling uh, transactions together. Uh, and where people just keep giving up more and more control without being concerned about it because nothing's particularly happening right now and everybody has to scramble and freak out and, uh, you know, rush, ghetto rig a bunch of solutions together when something terrible happens. So I'm just really glad that this article was put together. Um, I think it's good to talk about this again and I hope uh, anybody who hears or reads this... um, uh, realizes and thinks about it. And if anybody out there is a miner, 
bring it up. I send this episode or send the article or just mention, put a um, thing out to the person who is operating your pool that we should really be doing this. This is stupid. Um, and if you're a miner, make sure you're running your own node too. Uh, and I, I know I've probably said this about a billion times, but always be running your own node, even if you were giving your, your control up as a miner, always be running your own node. Uh, I think it's stupid to hash for blocks that you don't know anything about. So hopefully uh, uh, anybody who listens to this, take, take me up on it and uh, try to give a little bit of a push for this uh, because I would really, really like to see this implemented. And it would be amazing to see like 30% of the network behind this and really just make that, uh, make that uh, mining distribution chart I want it to look absolutely impenetrable. I want there to be so many slices on that damn pie that it, it looks like an absurd thing to even think of trying to control the hash power and attacking the Bitcoin network. Because that's the only way. That's the only way that this thing is going to uh, survive attacks from you know very powerful and... Uh, uh, highly funded adversaries, and I think we are going to have those adversaries. I think it's really inevitable that that, uh, that is a problem we have to deal with. So let's go ahead and fix it before we get there, you know? All right. Well, thank you to Stop and Decrypt, as always, for yet another great article and uh, for putting this piece together and letting me read it on the show so I can talk about it. Uh, thank you to Hacker Noon for the publication. They always have great stuff great writers. So don't forget to go over to the actual article and drop some serious applause on this one if you have not. And there is a lot of things to go digging a little bit further. Uh, The one specifically that I think is really great and super short, so it's easy to go through, is that 13-minute video from the Blue Mat about the network level attacks. So definitely a lot over there to to go digging a little bit deeper. All right, guys. Uh, We will close this episode out now. Thank you for listening to The Crypto Economy. We've got a bunch of great episodes coming. Um, I have been kind of slammed back to back. I've been basically doing dual episodes a day uh, for for this week. Um, I just talked with, and I believe it just got released, um, uh, Car Campit and Bird from uh, uh, the Friends Against Government podcast. If you've been listening to this show, we, we did an episode way way back during the beginning towards the beginning of this show and it was just a whole lot of fun and we got to reminisce almost a full year later basically uh talk about everything that happened throughout the year um kind of some crap that i've been having to deal with trying to remodel this house still after all this time and uh uh, talk about all kinds of stuff the growth of their podcast and just was really really good time and kind of how everybody's thinking about and what the major things are happening in Bitcoin. So definitely go check that one out. It was a fun episode. And then also, I just finished this morning an interview with Aaron Van Verdem, uh, who obviously you know I've read tons of stuff by him on the show. Uh, The guy is my favorite writer in the space, hands down. Just an amazing, amazing guy. And I got to pick his brain. We got to bullshit about all things Bitcoin and learn about his history, how he got into this, um, and his takes on like Bitcoin and journalism in general and a bunch of stuff that's going on. 
So that was a really, really fun conversation, and I cannot wait to publish it. So stay tuned for that. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on Twitter. I am at the Cryptoconomy on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I'm Guy Swan. Thanks for listening. This is the Crypto Economy Podcast. This is where we dive deep into the tech, into the philosophy, into the economics, everything about this new world and this new economy that we're building, where we were getting back our sovereignty, our liberty, and fingers crossed our privacy, because we want a better future and we're going to build it. And this is where you learn all about it. Thank you so much for joining me. I love you guys. Don't forget to share this out with everybody you know in the Bitcoin and crypto economy space so they too can get the best content in Bitcoin. Until next time, I am Guy Swan signing off. Take it easy, guys. Bye.